0: So, for me, let me just also say good evening. Uh, I'm really glad to be with you guys this week. Um, Brandon, I'm one of the Calvary Chapel pastors here, and I'm specifically the service pastor for this service, the English service, Church at Five. And uh, last week I was away, I was home sick, it was really horrible, so I'm extra glad to not be there and to be here instead with you guys. Uh, but I hear the service went well. And uh, so I'm glad to hear that, and it was a really good message, got to listen to it online. So for all of those of you who also weren't here last week, you can also listen to it online. And today is a little bit bittersweet for me, because we're reaching the end of our series. And it felt, uh, it was just a four-week series. We, For those of you who are just joining, we've been going through the tale of Josiah. And uh, even though it was just four weeks, it felt extra short. It felt like there was so much more that we could have unpacked, so much more we could have gotten into that we can see in the text. Uh, That's always the case, I feel, when we're reaching the end of a series as we look back on it. But on the other hand, I'm also really excited about today's message. I want to kind of elaborate. Actually, it's really cool because this was on my heart and Giannis mentioned it and uh, Kiki mentioned it in her prayer. And I just want to also encourage you that I believe that God has something to say to you today, that God has something that he wants to impart to you specifically, to you personally today. God has a reason why you're here. It's not just because you happen to be here or whatever the case may be of what brought you here today. You're here because God has something to say to each and every one of us. And uh, for some of us, it might be something that he wants to remind us of. That maybe we've forgotten. It's going to be a key element of what we're going to be looking at today, as looking at some reminders, some things we need to remember that we forget. Uh, but it could also be something that God wants to encourage you in, or maybe even rebuke you in, which is a little less comfortable, but equally important when we hear from God. I feel like this mic is really hot right now. Is that, I talk loud, so you might want to, sometimes I might yell. Get excited. So with that, uh, we're going to be going and diving into what we're going to be looking at today. Any of these things are possible, what God might be wanting to say to you today. So I want to just encourage you to be alert, be listening, be attentive in your heart. Have your heart open. And also, as Kiki mentioned, that this idea of, of just laying down the things in our week, laying down what's been going on, the stresses of what's to come, and really being, uh, or having our hearts sensitive to what God might want to say to you today. So today we're going to be actually starting by ending uh, the tale of King Josiah. We're going to be kind of going through one of the, the last things that we haven't really got to yet in going through this uh, text, and it's one of his greatest acts, one of the things that he's most Uh, noted for, most remembered for, and it's his celebration of the Passover. And that was important because it was years and years that the people had kind of forgotten about Passover. They'd forgotten about the importance of it. They had not been practicing it, and he brings it back in kind of a big way. And so we're going to be looking at that, and that will be kind of our conclusion of Josiah's story because we already kind of covered his death when we looked at like an overview of his life in the first week. You can also listen to that online. And then we're going to kind of conclude uh, the sermon today with a recap of all the key elements of what we looked at and kind of answer the question of what's the point? What is the point of all of this? Why, Josiah? Why, what can we gather from this series? Why do we take time to go through it, to evaluate it? And ultimately, what can we conclude from this time, our time in this series, for our lives today. And that's what I want to conclude with. This is kind of the one thing that I really hope you get out of this series, especially in light of our series title or our series focus, which is Revived, Renewed, Restored and how important these three are. And so that will be our close. And then we'll actually close the message and we'll conclude the series and also end the month if you will, with communion together. And that's how we're going to end the service today. And that's also something I'm really looking forward to. Communion is a great way to kind of conclude a a series, especially in what we're going to be looking at today in remembering the work of Christ on the cross. And it's a way that we can experience what we know about his grace through the action of communion. Now, if you're just joining us, again, you might be wondering, I don't even know who Josiah is. Um, he's not one of the more renowned or well-known characters found in the Bible. And his, uh, his story isn't given its own book like other, uh, some of the other characters in the Bible. And Though he is given a pretty good-sized portion amongst the kings. And Josiah was actually one of the final kings of Judah before the exile into Babylon. Uh, which, just, which happened actually just 22 years after he had died in 609 B.C. And so he's kind of a, a significant character in the story of, of the kings of Israel and Judah, but uh, he, if you read through first and second kings, or if you read through chronicles, first and second chronicles, he might just kind of blend in. He might just be another king and his actions, and, okay, next king. Uh, but there's actually a lot in this that I think we can overlook, and I find it unfortunate that we can so easily overlook these seemingly unimportant characters in the Bible that actually have a lot to tell us. His entire tale, if you want to read it when you go home tonight before you go to bed, is found in Second Chronicles 34 and 35 as well as 2 Kings 22 and 23. And so you can read through the whole story. That's, there's two; It's the same story and the same accounting but with different emphasis. Uh, we've been mostly looking at Chronicles uh, but we've been kind of going back and forth between the two. Um, and again, as I said, it's a story we can easily look past, but I do encourage you to read through it in its entirety at some point. And in the title of today's message is the third of our three "rees," if you will, uh, restored is what we're going to be focusing on today. Before we get into that though, let me just also pray. I want to surrender this message to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word for these stories that happened so long ago, so distant from who we are today and in such different cultures, and yet there's so much relatability, so many things, Father, that we can pull out and see how they apply even to our lives today. So many images that we can see of you and of your work and of Christ's work. Lord, open our eyes to see clearly, to know clearly, Father, what you want to say to us in this day and age from this text that was written so long ago and yet is so relevant to our lives today. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, and may every word I speak be your truth. Amen. So, restored. I did this with the first one, uh, revived, and so I want to do this as well because I think it really actually helps us to unpack what we're going to be looking at in the two sections of our message. Uh, I want to define it, and there's two uh, definitions that are given. So one is being or bring, to bring back or reestablish. So a previous right practice or situation, and that's what we're really going to see in the text today. When we kind of just conclude his story, we're going to go fairly quickly through it. But uh, Josiah restored a practice that had been forgotten. He restored something that had been lost: the Passover. But another definition is to return someone or something, but we'll emphasize on someone, to a former condition, place, or position. And that we're going to see at the end with Jesus Christ, who ultimately brings us to restoration through our lives and ultimately into eternity. Bringing us back to what we were meant to to be from the beginning of creation. He restores us fully and completely. So what did Josiah restore? Practically the Passover, the action, the festival of Passover. And like I said, we're going to skim through the story and we're going to be focusing in 2 Chronicles 35. Uh, It's a very detailed story and it is worth looking at. But uh, it's quite long and it really lists everything out in detail, which I would love to unpack. But I think it's important that we stay to our focus today and what I believe that God wants us to stay focused on. Before we get to the actual beginning of that and the action of them starting to this Passover feast, I want to read 2 Kings 23:21 to tie us in with what we talked about and what we looked at last week. So in 2 Kings 23, 21, the king gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. So here's where he declares it. He makes the decision, hey, we're going to celebrate Passover. But he gives the reason why. Why? Because it says it in God's word because God God's word tells us this is what we should do, that this is important to celebrate. And this, the focus of last week was renewal. And I think right here in this one verse we see this beautiful image of transition. Josiah and the people responded to the rediscovering of God's word. If you weren't here last week, they were rebuilding the temple and they, as they were rebuilding it in some secret compartment or somewhere somewhere, uh, under the floor is actually the tradition that it was maybe under under some of the floor or something. They found one of the books of Moses, uh, most likely the book of Deuteronomy from the way that they respond. But it could have been also all five books. We're not actually sure what they found, but they definitely found the Word of God. And it had been long lost, long forgotten, not heard for generations and Josiah and the people respond to the rediscovering of God's word through a renewal of their heart. And by the power of God's word it brings them to this action. That's what renewal does. That's what true renewal does. Is it doesn't just change something in the way we think or the way we see. It changes our actions. And that's what we see here as we transition. They, they wanted to not just know the word, not just be affected by it, but actually do something. And so they see that they needed to celebrate Passover. And so Josiah declares it. So Second Chronicles 35 verse 1, Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. And the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. Now the emphasis that I'd like to point out on that is that It tells us when they did it. And that's because that's what it says. In the book of Numbers, it says when, and in Deuteronomy, it says when they were supposed to celebrate the Passover. And so they're not just kind of of obeying what the word of God says. They're trying to obey it exactly as he commanded it to happen and when he exactly commanded it to happen. And from here, all the details are laid out from who was to do what and uh, who was supposed to be slaughtering. and It's it's a lot of details. You can read through it. The point is, is that they're keeping closely to God's commands. So this is an act of obedience to the Lord. In the rediscovering word, it's a sign that they've been renewed. But it's also a sign of trust. Because this had been forgotten. This had been kind of pushed to the wayside. And the culture had kind of transformed up to this point. And yet, they trust that God's word must be true. And we want to obey it as closely as we can. What he says must be good. And so then the Passover service arrangement uh, kind of takes shape. And uh, it's quite a, it must have been quite a spectacle. Uh, It had a lot going on. So there were, Priests and Levites that were kind of lined up and they were <clears throat> preparing all of the sacrifices. And there were tens of thousands of animals, tens of thousands. They were sprinkling the blood on the altar as a sign, as a representation of the sacrifice that needed to be made to cover sins, and remembering what God had done long ago in Egypt. They cooked and served the meat and gave it to the people. There was music playing. So if you can just kind of, I don't know, I can really kind of picture this scene. It must have just been massive. This was the entire city of Jerusalem. All of the surrounding tribes had come in uh, to celebrate with them. It was packed full. And it says in all of this, They did as it is written in the book of Moses. Again, keeping closely to what God's intentions were. It must have been something to see. So I want us to kind of grasp that for a moment. In fact, it was one of the greatest Passovers ever celebrated. In 2 Chronicles 35, 18, it tells us, The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel, since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priest, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. So it was quite a massive celebration. And it's interesting that his was the greatest especially looking back at what we've looked through in this series and where he came from and that he came from a family that had done evil and there was generations that had fallen away from the Lord and yet he did the greatest of the Passovers. Solomon had way more money and yet Josiah's was the greatest. And the greatness of it was not found only in the number of the sacrifices, but I believe in the uniting of the people. That they had come from all the surrounding areas to celebrate together in Jerusalem. It was the unifying fact that made his the one to remember. And one thing that I found as I read through the text that I feel is noteworthy in pointing out to you guys. And this will be kind of the last thing we look at in this section. is in 2 Chronicles 35 verse 7. Because I believe this is one of the things that sets Josiah apart. As we saw from the very beginning that he was set apart. In the very beginning of his story in chapter 34 of, of Second Chronicles, it says that he never disobeyed the Lord. He followed the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his, all of his days, never going to the left or to the right. And here we see one of his actions that sets him apart as a king in Israel, it says, Josiah provided for all the lay people who were there a total of 30,000 lambs and goats for the Passover offering. And also 3,000 cattle, all from the king's own possessions. A great act of generosity. He provided from his own personal flocks for the people. And the significance of this is that he did it so that No one would be without excuse. Nobody would be be able to abstain from this celebration. All of those that couldn't afford it could still participate. And this links Josiah to who is called his father, David. That Josiah did as his father, David, did. Of all the kings... We only see such generosity. We see, it, we see generosity with David. We see it with Solomon. But never like we do here with Josiah. Another thing that makes Josiah stand out amongst the kings. So Josiah makes the feast accessible to everybody. And what do we see immediately in that? We see an image of Christ. We know that Jesus died for our sins. He made a way for all those that believe. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter the status of your bank account. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter who you know or who you don't know. The way is for all, is free for all. And Josiah paints this picture and from his own, out of his own expense, making sure that all the people can participate in Passover. And Josiah's act becomes even more significant in the next verse. In verse 8, it says, Then his officials also contributed voluntarily to the people. Josiah didn't need to provide from his own flocks. He didn't need to do this for all the people, but he did. And this spread This spread to his officials. It spread to those that saw what he had done. And I believe that this is just something we need to take a moment to note. It's a solemn reminder of the power and influence of generosity. And that generosity is something that we should seek to live out in our lives. And that this is an image of Christ. This is an image of Christ's love for the world. To show generosity. To be reminded that everything that we have is by the grace of God. Nothing we own is of our own power, our own account. It all comes from the Lord. And so we should seek to follow Josiah's example, follow Christ's example in a generous spirit. And hopefully, as we do, others around us, whether believers or not, would take on also a life governed by a generous spirit as they see the generosity in our own hearts and lives and especially in our actions in the way that we actually live out our generosity. So Josiah restored this practice of the celebration of Passover to the people. He brought everyone in, made sure that everybody could be involved, but... Why this? It's not the only practice. If you read through the, old, the first five books of the Bible, there are many customs, many things to celebrate, many things to remember. Why is this particular tradition so important? That Josiah would be remembered for having the largest collective celebration of Passover out of all the kings. Why, why did? Why this? And it it devotes a whole chapter, almost all of chapter 35 is devoted to this celebration. Why is this so important? And I believe it's important, it was important for them then and it's important for us today because the Passover at its very core is the remembrance that salvation is found only in the Lord. It's the remembrance that salvation is only found in the Lord, something we all too quickly and too easily forget. The first Passover was in Egypt when God saved the children, the firstborn children of Israel, as death passed through the land of Egypt, taking the lives of all of the firstborn. But when he came to the houses of the Israelites, they had put blood around the doorposts. And because they were covered by the blood, death passed over. Thus, Passover. I know I just rocked somebody's world. That's why it's called Passover. But that's important. And it was important for them to remember it, but they had forgotten. That it was God that saved the people of Israel. It was God that brought them out of Egypt. It was God that freed them. Not Moses. Definitely not the people themselves. It certainly wasn't Pharaoh's compassion. It was the Lord that had saved them. And Passover for us today points ultimately to what was to come. The finished work of God's plan for salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus, through Passover, through this very festival, established what we celebrate today and what we will celebrate today in this service as communion. In Luke 22, 14 through 18. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus earnestly desired to have this, to share this final Passover with his apostles. Knowing that it marked the beginning of the fulfillment of what had been promised. A promise seen in the image of Passover for thousands of years. For thousands of years, they had been celebrating Passover. But the point of it all was that salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. And Jesus was excited. He was earnestly desired to share in that particular Passover, knowing it brought in, it ushered in the new covenant of what was about to take place. This is why it was important that the people remember what God had done in Egypt. He didn't want them to ever forget so that this picture would be clear generation to generation that he alone, God alone can save. And the Passover pointing to Jesus that it's his blood on the cross that was spilled for us that covers our sins today just as the lamb's blood had in Egypt. Now, why do we need to be reminded of this? You might say, I have heard this before. I know this story. Because this is the gospel. This is the gospel. And the one thing that we need to know more than anything else, the one thing we need to be reminded of more than anything else is the gospel. I don't know about you guys, but... This is, this is what I do, this is my job, and I, hardly a week goes by that I don't need to come to a point where I really take time to remember the gospel, where I take time to remember what Christ has done. It's so easy for us to let it slip away, let it be something that we feel we just know and forget the importance of it. We need to be reminded that we are not saved by our actions, by our own strength. No matter how strong we are, no matter how good our life is going, no matter how well we think we're doing, no matter how much we serve in the church, we're not saved by those things. We're not saved by our education or our knowledge, no matter how great it might be. We're not saved by our spirituality. Oh, just these great spiritual experiences we think we have. Those don't save you. It is only through Jesus Christ. That you have been saved. And that is a truth we have to keep coming back to in our lives. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Martin Luther, this is a famous quote, many of you will know it, said we need to hear the gospel every day. Because every day we forget it. (laughs) Every day we forget it. You may think you don't forget it. But it so easily slips to the back of your mind when, in reality, it should be the forefront of everything that we do. When we live out the gospel, when the gospel becomes the key truth of our existence, it affects and molds and changes everything else in our lives. And that's what we want to focus on in the rest of our time. Really asking, as I said at the beginning, the question, what's the point? What do we, what's the one thing that we really want to get out of this? What is, what do we want to remember through this series? We looked at revived, renewed, and today restored. And I want to show how these point to our salvation from the Lord. So in this next section, we'll break down these three words and how we can See the image of Christ and our own salvation today that's laid into the very framework and fabric of Josiah's story so long ago. So let's go back to revived. Where did the revival begin for Josiah? Where did it begin? Well, we looked at, it says that he began to seek the God Of his father David. So there's a moment where he made a choice. He decided to choose to seek the Lord. But what I want to point out in with Revived is why? Why did he seek the Lord? Where did this come from? I'll remind you, and for those of you who weren't here, Josiah's father did evil. In the sight of the Lord. His grandfather had sacrificed his own sons. In fire. To idols. They had not only done evil. But they had led the entire people of Israel. And the people of Judah. Away from the Lord. And built idols in all of the high places. Built idols in the very temple of God. To other gods. The culture had been had shifted, had changed, so that idol worship was commonplace. So where did this come from? He didn't get it from his dad. He didn't get it from his grandfather. He didn't get it from the culture. Where did this come from? What was it that drove him to be so countercultural? Well, it gives us the answer, doesn't it? It says that he did as his father David did. Well, David wasn't his birth father. His birth father was evil. But he did as his father David did. He was a son of David. We looked at we are children of God. Meaning what? What does this mean? Something ignited within Josiah. And something ignites within us. Something that opens the eyes of the heart. To see things differently. He saw that there is something wrong with the way things are. There's something wrong with the way things are going out there in the world. Maybe, and it says that he was king actually for a while before he made this this decision. And I believe that there might have been a walking around Jerusalem and thinking, this is not right worshiping idols this cannot be the only way this cannot be the way we were meant to do it the way our ancestors did it something was wrong he was not going to be so easily persuaded by his family history well that's just who i am that's in my dna he wasn't going to be persuaded by the culture around him or his friends and this opening of the eyes of our heart comes from the Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's this beginning, this, the, the drawing, the beginning of opening our eyes to see something different. That something isn't right with the way the world is. And this is what brings us to an understanding that we need Jesus. This is what brings us to that decision of saying, I will seek the Lord. John six forty four through 45 No one can come to me, and this is Jesus talking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. He seeks us first. And it is only by this that we can begin to be revived. To be able to say, I see what my parents have taught me. I see what the world says my teachers say. What my friends say I should be. What everybody says that I should be. But there seems to be a deeper truth to it all. This is being taught by God. It's the beginning of it. Where the lines between what is truly good and worthy to be followed and to seek becomes clear to those things that are just the culture and ultimately can be lies about who we are supposed to be. When we are revived, let's think about this word revived, we are brought from death to life. This is the image that the Bible also gives us, that we've been brought in Romans, that we've been brought from death to life. We have were dead in our trespasses and sin and brought to life we were revived and that happens in this moment when the eyes of our heart begin to be open to see more clearly that maybe the culture isn't always right maybe there is something to this god thing And that is what leads us into a decision to say, as Josiah said, when he reached this point of being revived fully, I will seek the Lord. I believe. What did he do after this? And this is where we begin to see the evidence of a revived heart. He removed the idols. And this is the next step, the evidence of a revived heart. To say that I will not only seek the Lord, so we feel this drawing, we feel this something's pulling us in. We come to this point, we make a decision and say, I believe, I see that God is the way. I want to seek Him and the next step is, so I don't want anything to take the place of God in my heart. I don't want anything to be risen to a place of importance that is above Him in my life. And that's the next step and that is a sign of a revived heart. And this is what brings us to renewal. Renewed. Where then does renewal truly begin to take hold? Last week we saw how they rebuilt the temple. They found the word of God. They read it. And as they read it, as they rediscovered God's word, something happened. They began to change. The heart of Josiah had been revived, and now it's been awakened as God begins to restore his heart and restore his people through the power and the authority of God's written word. This is what brings true and lasting renewal. King Josiah, upon hearing the word first, it says that he ripped his clothes fell to his knees in repentance because that's what the word of God does. That's what renewal does. It brings us first to this place of saying, I know where my faults are, of seeing the sins in our own lives, seeing our failures, because it's only in that that we then see our need and our satisfaction and our hope In Jesus Christ as our Savior. Then they renewed the covenant with God. So we see more renewal. But we don't renew our covenant with the Lord anymore. Our covenant is renewed through Jesus Christ. And it is renewed once and for all. There doesn't need to be regular sacrifices anymore the covenant has been renewed between us and God. And we are being renewed through him. Now, of course, our renewal is a process because we battle against the flesh, the desires of our flesh. But with Christ, I want to be very clear, when we belong to Christ, we cannot lose. We cannot lose because the victory never belonged to us in the first place it belonged to Christ if Christ claimed the victory for us then how can we lose it on his behalf we cannot lose he has promised to see the work in us completed as it says in Philippians 1.6 he will see the work completed in us and this leads us to restored. Restored is the completion of the work. It's the place we're going. It's the place he's bringing us to. Through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been taught by God. In this, we have been revived, brought back to life. The eyes of our hearts open that we may see our need for our Savior. And upon being revived, the process of our restoration begins. We are continually being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's word. And in all this, we know by the promise of God, we will be completely restored. This is the hope of what's to come, the completion of the work that he began in us. First Peter 5.10 says... And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I think this is a great verse that demonstrates exactly all three of these images that we've been looking at. It says that it was he who called you by grace. It was he that drew you. It was he that made you begin to see. It was he that opened the eyes of your heart. It was he that taught you, that helped you to see what was wrong, that something was missing in your life, that you needed something else and drew you to his word, drew you to hearing more about him, drew you to his love by his grace. And we know that in this life we face trouble. The Bible also paints the same image of being renewed as the testing of our faith. The testing of our faith that brings true renewal. That brings about uh, a changed heart. That brings us, that sharpens us. And finally we see promise to be restored in this verse. To be steadfast, strong, And this is the completed work that God does in his timing. Ultimately, when we enter into the new hope we have in eternity in his presence. So I hope that today you've been, in one way or another, spoken to, encouraged, reminded of a truth, maybe forgotten. And I want to leave you guys with this. And that this would be our prayer before we prepare for communion. Psalm 51:12: "Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is our prayer today, Lord. Well, we've wintered the part of this service where we'll be preparing for communion together. In that I'd like to invite the band to come up, and they'll be playing some music. As we prepare. Before we do that though. I want to just remind you guys. Of a few things about communion. That I like to remind us of. When we're taking communion. Communion. Is acknowledging. And remembering. That our salvation is through. The covering and saving power. And grace of Jesus Christ. Blood and sacrifice. On the cross. It is an acknowledgement of that truth. And in this, with this in mind, it's clear that this is an act for those who call Christ their Lord, who say, I believe in Jesus and I want to commune with him. I want to sit at his table as he's invited me to do. So if you believe today, in a moment I'll invite you to come down to the front. If you're first time here, what we do is we, I'll, uh, I'll kind of, Okay, it's over here today. Sometimes it's over here, sometimes it's over here. They keep me on my toes. So I'll invite you guys to just kind of come over to the side and line up over here. And then we'll go and grab, you can grab one of the elements. And then we'll just all make a big circle here at the front. uh, Because we want to do communion together. We want to be unified in it. We believe that it unifies us as the body of Christ. As well as unifies us or unites us with Christ himself. And so we want to do that together. And then we 'll close the service after communion with two songs, as he mentioned in the beginning we 'll end with two songs to really end with worshiping God. I believe that communion is it 's not just an action it 's not just something to remember, but it 's something that God instills grace to us through and what I mean by that is we can understand. All of these truths about what we talked about today. Uh, that we've been saved by grace. That we, be, we believe on Christ and we believe that the blood that he shed, that his body broken for us covers our sins. But communion is, is an action on that truth. And I believe that any time we act on a truth we know, we begin to experience our doctrine. We begin to experience God's presence and grace in a new way. It's the same thing as I can know that worshiping God is good, but when I actually take time to come together with others and sing God's praises, there's a power in that. There's a pouring out of His grace in that. And communion is one of these things, one of the sacraments where we can experience what we understand about God's truth through this physical action of communion. So we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, Before we do, I always like to give just a brief time, two, three minutes of quiet. Uh, The band will play something quietly in the background. And I want to encourage you to just take time. If you have something in your heart, if you have an idol, something maybe that you feel maybe has come to a place too high in your heart, something that you want to repent of, something you want to surrender to the Lord, maybe it's just a stress in your life, that we can come to communion Laying all those things down at the cross first. This isn't about forgiveness. You've been forgiven because of what Christ already did. This isn't about earning anything. This isn't about making yourself right before God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ, the Bible says. That's already done. This is about recognizing our need for Him. Saying, God, these are the things I'm struggling with. These are the things that I feel too heavy to carry right now and I want to lay them down at the cross before I come and sit at your table today. So I want to give you guys two, two minutes to take a moment and pray to the Lord for those things and then I'll invite you guys to come up to the front.